Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning, still in the first 25 verses. It's been about a month here in this opening passage, this opening story of Luke. And we've primarily been looking at the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how God has interacted with them and what we can learn uh, of God from His interaction with Zechariah and Elizabeth. But if you've noticed that as we've gone through this passage, I skipped a few verses. I skipped three verses. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Because these verses are the angel Gabriel telling Zechariah what his son is going to be like. And I believed that these verses warranted their own sermon to look at because they apply and can apply so distinctly to us today. So this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 15, 16, and 17. We'll be looking at John the Baptist and greatness before the Lord. What it means to be great before God in the eyes of God. Now there is a wide wide misunderstanding of what greatness really is. What it means to be great. The world will tell you that greatness is defined and greatness is found in a high paying job. That if you can make a lot of money, if you can have the powerful career, the authoritative career, then you will achieve greatness. The world will also say that greatness is found in leaving a legacy of success in your life. That after you've died and you're gone, if people remember you as a great and successful and powerful individual, then you will achieve greatness. The world will continue to find greatness as influencing large masses of people, being popular, having influence over a certain group of people. And really, this kind of greatness, this definition of greatness, this pursuit of worldly greatness has somewhat crept into circles of the church, hasn't it? Where some pastors believe that if I write this book, I'll become well-known and popular, then I'll be great. Or if I get on this board of directors or that committee, then I'll have some influence, then I'll be popular, then I'll be great. Or if I gain as many speaking engagements as I can, or gain as many Twitter followers as I can or Facebook friends as I can then I'll achieve greatness that is all a vain pursuit of what real greatness is Israel even in her history has pursued that kind of worldly greatness hasn't she we can think of a few examples Genesis chapter 11 the tower of Babel they wanted to build this tower into the heavens and make it the greatest tower in the world and their hallmark Banner statement for why they wanted to do it is found in verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves that will be great. Seen in other parts of Israel's history, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel asked for a king to reign over them so that they will be great like the other nations, be great in war, great in power, great in victory, those kinds of things. We even see it in individuals in the history of Israel. Saul, obviously, the first king of Israel, disobeyed God, was going to be replaced by God with David to be the new king. And yet Saul so coveted worldly greatness, he was willing to kill, hunt down and kill David to remain king, to remain great. 
that's worldly greatness. That's the pursuit of worldly greatness. And the world will sell you the idea that greatness is found in wealth and found in influence and success and power and in popularity. And there are too many people who buy into that vain pursuit of that worldly greatness. Not realizing that it is utterly false, utterly deceptive, and totally opposite of what God calls greatness. In these three verses this morning, our passage of Scripture this morning, we are going to find a man who's going to be born. And that this man, most people in his life would not have regarded him as a great man. He dressed in camel hair, wore a leather belt, he ate locusts, he ate honey, he lived in the wilderness, he spent his time leading people, trying to lead people in repentance, trying to scream out the kingdom of God is at hand. And in fact, you and I probably would have labeled him as a maniac. Not many people would have regarded this baby to be born as a great man. And this man would actually spend the last days of his life in a prison cell on his way to die. And he would not die as the great men of history have died according to worldly standards. He would die at the hands of a corrupt king by the request of a little girl and he would be beheaded. And in no one's eyes would this man be regarded as great. And yet God looks at him and says, you are great. In fact, God looks at him and says, you are greater than anyone else. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus would say of this man, of those born of women, none has arisen greater than John. And so we have a natural question, don't we? Why? Why is John regarded as great by God? What makes him great before the Lord? Because it wasn't his Twitter followers that made him great. It wasn't his book endorsements. It wasn't his bank account. It wasn't his high score in Yahtzee. It wasn't any of those things that made John the Baptist great. What is it that makes him great before God? And even a better question, how can we be great in the eyes of God? That's what we find today in our passage. That's what's being described by this angel Gabriel to John's father, Zechariah, while he's in the temple. And so what you and I are going to see today, I hope, in these verses, is that to be great before your fellow man is nothing, but to be great before God is everything. The first thing we notice in verse 15 is something that needs to be pointed out about John's greatness. We notice there that he is great before the Lord. And I must point out that that is the only kind of greatness that matters. That is the kind of greatness we're pursuing. That's the kind of greatness we're seeking to define and seeking to achieve as believers. And so we still have our question, what in John's life made him great in the eyes of the Lord? And I hope we will answer the question, what does it take for us to be great in the eyes of the Lord. So look with me in Luke chapter 1. 
And let's start actually back up in verse 11, and we'll read down to our text for this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Zechariah is burning incense in the temple. In verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine, or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So the first thing we see when we ask the question, what does it take to be great in the eyes of the Lord? The first thing we see concerning John's life in verse 15 is that you must be set apart. You must be different from the world. John the Baptist, according to the angel, was set apart, was to be set apart in two specific ways. One external and physical way and one internal and spiritual way way the first way is external and physical it is that he must not drink wine or strong drink now this isn't a verse we want to take every verse in context we want to take every verse as it's meant to be this is not a verse saying that it is absolutely unbiblical to drink alcohol for any of us while there are other passages in scripture that claim drunkenness to be a sin and and tell us that drinking is unwise this verse is not one of them This verse pertains specifically to John the Baptist. So we ask, what's the significance that John would not drink wine or strong drink? Why does the angel give this command to Zechariah? And I think the significance is found in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. In that passage, God is talking to Aaron. Aaron's the first priest, and God's laying out the requirements to be a priest. And he's telling Aaron, here's the requirements for you to be a priest, but here's also the requirements for all the other priests that's going to come after you in your generation. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, this is what God says to Aaron. He says, Drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And then in verse 10 he says this, Because you are to distinguish between the holy and the common between the unclean and the clean. Drink no wine, have no strong drink, because you're supposed to be distinguishing between the holy and the common, the unclean and the clean. So what that means for John, not drinking wine, not drinking strong drink, is that John is to be consecrated to the Lord's work and not taken up with the things of the world and not like the people of the world. John is to be different. 
He is to be set apart. So that's the point. John's exclusion from wine is meant to make him distinct in the world. And that's a truth that you and I would do well to understand, right? Too often, believers are sidetracked by the pursuits of this world, by worldly accolades, seeking greatness where greatness cannot be found. But John the Baptist was a great man because he wasn't like the rest of the world. He was not dictated by worldly pleasures or worldly desires or worldly things. From birth, John would be set apart to the Lord's work. I'm not real sure if many believers understand the significance of being set apart from the world. That's what we're all called to as believers. But when we come to faith in Christ, we're called to lay aside those worldly things, renounce the flesh that was once ruling over us, and to follow Christ in a new and in a different kind of way. That's what is supposed to be taking place with John here. He will be great because he will be set apart. He'll be distinct. He'll be different. And so that's our first step to greatness. Renounce the way of the world and be set apart from it. John's command here not to drink wine was also just an external symbol of an internal truth in his life. John MacArthur would actually say about John, he says, John's outward consecration would flow from his inner spiritual empowerment. That leads us to the second mark we see about John the Baptist. The second mark is that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, internal and spiritual. That's a remarkable truth, isn't it? To have the Holy Spirit from birth, that's not said of any other person in the New Testament. In fact, that shows you and I that God chooses His servants even before they're born, right? Psalm 139, I've known you before your days were even numbered. I saw your unformed substance as, as when there was nothing about you. And on a side note, this is extremely strong evidence for you and I as Christians that what is in a woman's womb is not just a fetus, it's a person. And that abortion is horribly wrong. There are many passages in Scripture that indicate the sanctity of life, that we are to uphold and advocate for the sanctity of life. But here, with John the Baptist, this is a very strong one. Because if the Holy Spirit can indwell John in his mother's womb, then John is a person in his mother's womb and not some ball of tissue. So John will be filled even from birth with the Holy Spirit. And that means a few things for John. That means that he will be empowered by God to do God's will, to do God's service. He'll be led by God. He'll be gifted by God. He'll be secured by God. He'll be marked by God. He'll be motivated by God. In short, it'll be no doubt John the Baptist belongs to God. And it is that mark of his life that matters significantly more than his abstention from wine and strong drink. Because we not only see that John is set apart, here we see what John is set apart to. Rather, who John is set apart to. He's set apart to God. That's the whole reason 
why John's distinctness matters. It's one thing, and, and it's actually a really good thing for you to be set apart for your wife, to be set apart for your job, to be set apart for your country, to be set apart for your family, and a long, li- long line, a long list of other things to be set apart for. But it is another thing altogether to be set apart for God. To give yourself wholeheartedly to God. To surrender your whole life, every detail of your life to God. To count the cost of following God and still follow Him. That is the most important calling for a believer. To be set apart to God in that sort of a way. And it's the Holy Spirit who sets us apart for God in such a way as that. Count the cost, surrender all, follow Him. So here's the truth of the matter. To be great before the Lord, you must be set apart to the Lord. But you cannot be great before the Lord and you cannot be set apart to the Lord if you are not first filled by the Holy Spirit. If you are not first under salvation in Christ. You can pursue greatness, but you will end up pursuing it in vain if you are not first a born-again Christian. You may be set apart in your morals. I don't drink, I don't lie, I don't cuss, I don't steal. But you may not be set apart to God. And that's a big difference. John is great because he's first set apart to God and that makes him set apart from the world. But some will ask the question, and they should, how is this thing seen or how is this thing known? How is it that being set apart of God, uh, to God, how is that evidenced in a believer's life? I'll give you the answer. The evidence that you are set apart to God is seen in your service to God. Those who do great things for the Lord, they reckon great, don't they? And those who do little things for the Lord, they reckon little. Our greatness in the eyes of the Lord is evidenced by our devotion and service to the Lord. And if that is the case, then our churches are lacking significantly on great people of God because our churches are lacking on great servants of God. And if people, believers, church members, would realize the tremendous blessing and the tremendous importance it is to be great before the Lord, because that greatness communicates God's delight in you, God's pleasure in you, God's enjoyment of you. If believers would realize how tremendously important that is to be great before the Lord, then the fruit of that greatness would be service in our churches to the Lord. Our churches would be full of disciples who care about serving the Lord. Care about being great in His eyes. Someone will still ask, is this greatness of John the Baptist, is it even available for all believers? Can we all even attain to this kind of greatness? And I would read to you this quote from J.C. Ryle speaking about John the Baptist 
greatness. He says, It is a greatness which is, in, which is within reach of us all, of the poor as well as the rich, of the servant as well as the master. It does not depend on power or patronage, on money or on friends. It is the free gift of God to all who seek it at the Lord Jesus Christ's hands. It is the portion of all who hear Christ's voice and follow Him, who fight Christ's battles and do Christ's work in the world. Such may receive little honor in this life, but great shall be their reward at the last day. Is this greatness even available or attainable by any of us today? You better believe it. Any of us who come to faith in Christ seek to honor Christ in our life, surrender our all to Christ, and will be set apart to Christ, can find greatness before the eyes of the Lord. One more thing should be said about these two marks of John the Baptist, that he is to abstain from wine and strong drink, and that he's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One more thing needs to be said about it. In Scripture, there is a contrast painted between wine and the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And this is what he's saying. Don't be influenced by the things of the world, but by the things of God instead. By God Himself instead. You see, John's attire, his camel hair, his leather belt, his Diet, his locusts and his honey, his living arrangements, living in the wilderness, all of those things are evidence of his indifference to worldly pleasures. And the abstaining from wine and the filling of the Holy Spirit, they only serve to further that indifference. And so what we see in John's abstention from wine and in his filling of the Holy Spirit is that John is to give himself to the Lord's work rather than to worldly pleasures. We need to let that soak into our hearts a little bit. John is to give himself to the Lord's work rather than to worldly pleasures. To be influenced by God rather than by things of the world. That's the first mark of greatness for you and I. It's to not let this world and to not let these worldly pleasures determine who we are we as Christians don't live by the world's standards. So you want to be great before the Lord, and I hope the answer to that question is yes, then give yourself to the Lord's work. Don't let worldly pleasures determine who you are. Be set apart to God. That is true greatness. That is greatness in the eyes of of the Lord. Don't waste your life away any longer letting the world determine who you are. Be set apart to God. The second thing we see this morning about pursuing greatness is found at the beginning of verse 17 there. You need to be set apart to God. You need to be sent by God. Beginning of verse 17, the angel tells Zechariah, John will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. 
That is a plan of God, a plan to send John, and that plan was set in motion hundreds of years before. In fact, the Old Testament closes with God's promise of Elijah coming to prepare the people and prepare the way of the Lord. You see it in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and you see it in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Those are actually the last two verses of the Old Testament. So the last two verses of the Old Testament, God points to this promise yet to be fulfilled that there's going to be one who goes before the Messiah and prepares the way for the Lord. And the people here have waited. Waited hundreds of years for Elijah to come back and to prepare them for their Messiah. And this is probably what contributes to Zechariah's doubt and shock. My son will be the forerunner to the Messiah? So here, after 400 years, God is going to fulfill His promise of sending a forerunner, and He's going to fulfill that promise in John, in this baby. John would be sent by God and would be supplied by God to fulfill His calling of preparing the people for the coming of God. Part of being great in the eyes of the Lord is to be sent by God and fulfill your calling to God. Because here's the reality for you and I today. We are all called by God if we're Christians. If you and I are believers, we're all sent by God. We're all gifted by the Holy Spirit and we're all called by God to a specific mission and purpose here on this earth. And if God has called us to this mission, then like John, He will supply us with the strength and power to complete this mission. And so, people who are great in the Lord's eyes take what God has given them and strive to fulfill their calling with it. What is your calling, you may ask? What, what's the calling of us as believers? It's much like John's. John was to prepare a way for the first coming of Christ. You and I are to prepare the people for the second coming of Christ. The same ministry of proclaiming repentance. Get ready. The Lord is coming. We are to make sure that when people's hearts stop beating, They can stand before the Lord as righteous in Jesus. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled back to God. That's Paul's plea in 2 Corinthians 5. You and I have the great privilege, the great task of being ambassadors for Christ. Making the message of God known. Preparing the people in this community that one day the Lord will come back and then it will be too late. Are you ready? Get ready for the Lord. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. Any moment the Lord will come back. Are you ready? We're all called. We're all sent to proclaim the Gospel of Christ. Those who are great are sent by God and they fulfill their calling 
by God's strength and power. Thirdly, real quick, those who are greater set apart, those who are greater sent. Thirdly, in verse 16 and the rest of verse 17, those who are great are sold out to the mission of God. That's a big deal in our world. That's a big deal because our world is completely and totally selfish. Our own hearts are selfish, concerned primarily with self. Number one. And since we are selfish at our core, we make for a selfish world to live in. People stepping all over one another to gain stature, to gain greatness in this world, in the world's eyes. People willing to lie, cheat, steal, and hurt others just to get what they want in this life. People willing to sacrifice family and friends and other innocent people so that they can fulfill their own desires in this life. That is the world we live in and those are the people who make up this world. But the great person of God is a selfless person. They are different from the world and that difference is seen in their selfless nature and in their sold out devotion to God's mission. Those two are inseparable. They go hand in hand. Those who are great before the Lord, they are sold out to the mission of God and not to the mission of self. They care more about God first and others second. Didn't Jesus say something like that? I believe He did in Matthew chapter 22. Verses 37 and 40, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. And that's what we see in John's life there. In verse 16 and verse 17. That he is concerned with God's fame first and people's eternal destiny second. That is a picture of true love. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you'll be concerned about God's fame above your own. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll be concerned with their eternal destiny at all times. So the first thing we see in verse 16 about John being sold out to the mission of God is that he's concerned with God's fame. That's what the angel says in verse 16. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And that may seem simple, but it is rather significant. And it is a great mark of a great minister. John is not in the business of turning people to himself. Isn't that so contrary to the mentality of the world today? I want all eyes on me. I want to be popular. Yet it's John who made the famous saying, I must decrease and he must increase. John's not in the business of turning people to himself. His preaching and his ministry and his life in general will be for the purpose of making God known. It seems like a forgotten trait by many ministers of the Gospel and by many church churches who follow such ministers 
by many people inside the church, that's, that's a forgotten principle. Too many people care more about themselves than they do about the glory of God. Great people are different. They're all about making God's name known. They have an extreme care and a very high view of who God is. And so as such, those great people who leave their mark on this world and make a mark in the kingdom of God are in the business of furthering God's agenda, not their own. They render service to God through the church for the express purpose of making God known. They make sacrifices in their life to make God known. They battle hard against sin in their life so as not to bring reproach upon the name of Christ. They pray fervently to God to ask that they may better represent God in the world. Their whole being and their whole existence is wrapped up in making God known, not themselves. How contrary of a thought is that? Many of us this morning need to take a sobering and honest reality check. And we need to repent of all the vain things that we do to further our own name and our own agenda above God's. You examine the daily grind of your life. And are you living for kingdom of self or kingdom of God? The second thing in verses 16 and 17 that we see concerning John being sold out to the mission of God, he's concerned with other people's eternal destiny. It's a mark of a great person of God. And so in turning people to the Lord their God and in being concerned with His name above His own, He is simultaneously being concerned with their eternal destiny. And turning here is used in connection with conversion. That's what the angel's talking about. Convert many people to the Lord their God. And so John's ministry, John's service, John's whole life would be all about turning people from their disobedience and the rebellious sin, and identifying with that sin, it would be about turning them from that back to God. Back to the Lord. In fact, in chapter 1, flip over there in verses uh, 76 and 77 real quick. Zechariah is now able to speak again in these verses. John's been born. Zechariah is able to speak. And the first thing he does when his tongue is loose is he prophesies. And in that prophecy in verse 76 and 77... He's talking about John. And he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. That's John's whole ministry. That's John's whole preaching agenda. That's John's whole life, his whole dedication to service, to make salvation known to people. And this makes for messy ministry, doesn't it? Because John had to be willing to address tough issues. John had to be willing to take a stand for what is right. John had to be willing to speak out against evil. We see that when he rebukes Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife. And John had to be willing to get involved in people's lives. Let me just say as a pastor, you don't see those things 
much among church members or among churches. You don't see too many godly people willing to address tough issues. Rather, they want to sweep them under the rug. You don't see too many people take a stand for what is right because we live in an age of tolerance and they don't like conflict. You don't see too many people who are willing to speak out against evil because they don't want to be seen as the outcasts. They don't want to lose their friendships. And you don't see too many people who are willing to get involved in one another's lives. My life is private. But great people do those things. Great people of God do those things. And they know that ministry can be messy. But that is part of being selfless. That is part of being sold out to the mission of God. That is part of being an honoring vessel of Christ. And that is what you and I are called to do as Christians. John knows that people are in need of the Messiah, not himself. John knows that the only hope of the nation of Israel is that they turn to God for mercy. And John knows that he is not able to save anyone. But he can point them to the one who can That's what the angel highlights there in verse 17 of John's work. Adding that John will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient uh, to the wisdom of the just is what the angel says of John's continued ministry. That's just a continued description of his impact upon the world, of the impact of his ministry on those who are lost. Whole families will be saved as a result of John's preaching and ministry. Disobedient people will be turned back to God in conversion and to the knowledge of doing what is right in the sight of God. His preaching will reconcile families. His preaching will bring Israel back in line with the faith of her forefathers. And that church so clearly shows that God is going to be gracious through John the Baptist as he prepares the way of the Lord. Does that not sound like a great saint of God? Does the angel's description of what John's going to be and what he's going to do not sound like something we want to strive for in our lives? Most certainly it does. I'm telling you this morning how you can arrive at this kind of service, at this kind of greatness. Be set apart from the world, set apart to God. Be sent by God and fulfill your calling and your mission that God's placed in your life. And be sold out for God's mission, not your own. How destructive of a thought. Is it for a pastor or a church to know the only way of salvation and that is through Jesus, but are still more concerned with their own agenda, their own personal preferences, and making their own name known above God's? That's a tragedy Yet that is true in so many churches. People unwilling to change, unwilling to be effective, unwilling to give up personal preferences, even if it will serve to better glorify God and serve to better bring more people to God, unwilling to sacrifice for the sake of God. Let us not be that kind of people, that kind of church. Let us repent of that mindset, those desires in our hearts. Let us not be self-absorbed people. Let us always be a people who take a back seat to God. Let us be a people who drop our agendas to serve God's agenda 
I pray we will be those selfless people. I pray that we will strive in all that we do to make God's name known in this community, not ours. That we may point people to salvation in Christ, not salvation in us. That we will raise good disciples of Christ and not just good volunteers in the church. Let me ask you a question this morning. And I want you to answer honestly in your own heart. Do you spend more time furthering your fame or God's fame? Do you spend more time caring about yourself or caring about the eternal destination of the people in this community? Those are telling questions in our hearts. Because people who are great in the eyes of the Lord care about furthering the Lord's mission, care about fulfilling their calling from God, care about being set apart to God and not following the ways of this world. John's mission in preparing people for the Lord was to get them ready to repent of their sins and follow and trust in Christ. To count the cost and follow Jesus yet still. And the reality that some of you don't feel like you're great in the eyes of the Lord, the reality that you don't feel like you're set apart to God or sent by God or sold out to the mission of God is because you're not prepared to meet God. You haven't repented of your sins. You haven't trusted in Christ for salvation. You haven't come to Christ in faith. But you can. I would ask you some telling questions if you're doubting your salvation this morning or if you know that you're not a believer this morning, I would ask you, have you given your life to Christ? I would ask you, are you ready for the great and final day of the Lord when He will gather His children into His arms and cast all of those who do not belong to Him into eternal punishment? Are you ready for that day? Greatness in the eyes of the Lord is marked by faithfulness to the Lord. Faithfulness to be holy, set apart. Faithfulness to fulfill your calling. Faithfulness to care more about Him than yourself. And Christians must seek greatness before the Lord instead of greatness before the world. We must lay aside those vain pursuits of worldly achievements and take up the pursuits of the Lord. We must be more concerned with the fame of God and the destinies of the people around us, even in our own families, than we are with ourselves. Can you honestly say today that if you were standing before God right now, He would say, you are great in my sight? And if not, why not? Are you not set apart to Him? Are you not fulfilling your call, calling? Are you not sold out to Him? Are you not a Christian? What's the answer? Because this greatness is achievable. This greatness delights the Lord. This greatness is to be true of all of us who belong to God. But today you can repent, make things right with the Lord, and be set apart to God, sent by God, and sold out to God.